Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Russ Cordell. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. The book of Revelation chapter 12. I just have two verses and I'm going to go in reverse order. Starting in verse 11. The word says, And they overcame him. by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony and they love not their lives unto death the enemy would want nothing more today than to continue to cause division to sequester our speech to hold us back from victory from stepping up and receiving his blessing he wants to control what we do He wants to manipulate us. He wants to have his way in this congregation. He wants division. He wants silence. He wants pain. He wants hurt feelings, conflict. I'm here to tell you this morning that if we have any job right now as Christians in the kingdom, any job in this life right now, it is to learn to overcome the enemy. We have to overcome the enemy. There's no question about it. There's no part in it. There's no other decision. We have to learn to overcome the enemy. Verse 10, if you step one back, it says this, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. I'm here to tell you this morning, God has inspired in me a message to declare to our church, to my family, that the accuser is going to be cast down. And we can begin overcoming him today. And we must do so. You can be seated this morning. Today is the day of our salvation. And you know what? When you wake up tomorrow, tomorrow will be the day of our salvation. And the next day, and so on. Because every single day, as the word says, the accuser is before God, accusing us day and night. And he will be cast down. Every day is the day of salvation. Every day we have to be on our game. As we learn and grow as Christians, it's becoming very, very clear that we've got this job to do, and it's the number one job. We've got to be keenly aware. We've got to talk about these things. We've got to be prepared to speak out our voice and come against the enemy. Come against these difficulties and separations, problems we have with one another, these basic human elements that we deal with. And, and, And I'm not calling out anything specific. It's just us. It's people. It's human flesh things. But for a long, long time, we're just sort of this good at it. And what I'm saying is, is it's time to take that step. We can do it. We can do it together and take that step. And we can declare to the enemy, no matter what happened, no matter whatever we're dealing with, whatever the situation is, nothing is greater and more important and more powerful than overcoming the enemy. Not the person that offended you. Not the person that doesn't make you feel right. Not the pastor that you didn't want elected to the church. Not the person in a leadership position you don't want to follow. None of that matters. It's the element of the enemy. It's the element of the accuser. It's overcoming him, not the person. 
It's overcoming this flesh that he operates in. It's overcoming the things that you deal with every single day, the day-to-day, the hurts, the challenges, all of those issues, people that you work with, family members, not in the church perhaps. You know, we have basically two parts of that mission. It's very simple, and you've heard me say it before from the pulpit. We have one job, essentially two jobs if you split it into two, and that is to save ourselves and as many people as we can reach before it's all said and done. Because someday, today will be the day of our salvation. Someday that will be it. There won't be a tomorrow to go and make it right. We've got to understand and know the attacks of the enemy. We need to know what his tactics are. We need to be keenly aware of it. And stop fooling around in his game. Stop getting wrapped up in his tools, in those things. Yeah, it might indulge the flesh a little bit. Oh, it feels self-righteous. It feels great to get in there and say, well, this is the way I feel about it, and I'm entitled to that. That's all fine and good. That's all flesh. It makes you feel good for a while. But if you're really honest with yourself when you're laying awake at night and you're staring at the ceiling trying to go to sleep, you know as well as I do it doesn't feel right. And it's the accuser. See, because he tempts us into those things. The Bible says if you've got ought against somebody, you go to them and talk to them about it. Don't send an emissary, send a messenger. Don't get involved in politics. Don't tell 15 other people. You go and do what the word says. But it feels good. It feels good to get a couple of people in the group and say, hey man, this guy just really made me mad. This is what happened to me. But later on, it doesn't feel good because the, the, the accuser tempted you into that behavior. He tempted you into that methodology. But later on, he's waiting. He's waiting in the wings because once he wooed you into that and said, oh, it's okay if you do that. You're self, you're justified. You're, you're right. That's, that's really true. Sometimes it's justified. There's that word in the Bible that says there's justified anger, right? I'm justified in this. This was wrong. But see, he's waiting in the wings, He's waiting for you to get fully engrossed in that, to maybe even wait. Maybe he'll just wait just a little longer until it actually starts to hurt you spiritually. Maybe it starts to hurt other relationships and you don't realize it. Maybe it starts to hurt you physically in your body. But he's waiting. He's waiting in the wings so that at the right time, he can pounce on you as the accuser and say, look what you did. Look at the attitude that you have. Look what you've done. You're not worthy. You're no Christian. You're no good. That's the accuser of the brethren. And what I'm saying to you today is we can have our conflicts. We can stumble over one another. We can do stupid things. Lord knows I've got a list a mile long. We can do those things and not hate one another and not drive wedges between relationships because that's what the enemy wants. And I'm sick to death of it. I'm sick to death and tired of watching what the enemy does. I'm sick of seeing it in family and friends and neighbors and coworkers that aren't in the church. But more so with my own family, you, everybody, all of us. I'm sick to death of seeing what the enemy can do in some people's lives. For what? For a little bit of gratifying, satiating attitude? I'm here to say that we've got to overcome. We've got to overcome. And that Revelation chapter 12, verse 11 says that we overcome him by the blood of the lamb and the word of the testimony. I'm angry this morning. I'm angry at the enemy. And I'm sorry if I seem like a fool to you, if I look irrational, but I just, God has built this and built this and I've been preparing and just thinking of all the things that I know that people have come to me, conflicts they're having with other folks, challenges that they're having in their lives. For what? This life is but a vapor. It's but a moment. 
we've got an eternity waiting for us. And is it worth it? Is it worth it to sacrifice that for a moment to indulge in what the accuser is preparing to accuse you over? So I'm going to talk today, maybe teach, maybe stumble. Maybe I'm not the right guy to teach this message the best way. Maybe there's a Ray Woodward or a Lee Stone King or a David Bernard that can do it a hundred times better. But I'm telling you that God has called me to teach it today. And I'm going to teach it. We overcome the accuser by the blood of the lamb, the word of the testimony. And look unto that last piece where it says, loving not our life to death. Overcoming by the blood of the lamb has to do with Jesus, the blood that he shed on Calvary. Thank you, Sister Angela. Where is she? Sister Angela. Your devotion this morning. I'm not going to give you a great big hug like I did Brother Imo, but I'm going to give you a high five. Thank you very much. Phenomenal, phenomenal message this morning, and it led right into what I'm talking about, talking about a boldness and an authority. You are right on, Sister Angela. You keep on bringing that. She talked about the blood that Jesus shed on Calvary for us. Overcoming by the word of our testimony has to do with the Holy Spirit within you. See, God promised that the Holy Ghost in you, he would prompt you. He would bring you those words in those times. Have you been in that situation where someone's presented to you? You begin to speak, something happens, and all of a sudden you're recounting textures and, excuse me, and scriptures and things that you hadn't even known as you memorized. But you feel that Holy Ghost come on you and you know that you begin to witness to that person and you're planting seeds in their heart. See, the word of your testimony comes from the Holy Ghost. Overcoming by loving not our life to death has to do with obedience to God, obedience to his word. So there are your three components, the blood, the spirit, and the word. Now I'm gonna take them in reverse order today, if that's okay. That's just my choice, nothing from the scripture. This church is an overcoming church, by the way. It's a powerful church. I'm so appreciative of the people that are stepping up and declaring, I want to do something for God. They're declaring that I'm ready to work. Thank you, Sister Angela, stepping up. Chad, Brother Chad is stepping up, our first service director to be very shortly. We've got people stepping into Sunday school, stepping into other ministries. Sister Burling is not here on vacation, but she stepped and said, I really want to help Brother Cordell. What can I do? And she's going to lead our nursery ministry. She's going to impact the lives of, of visitors and guests and people that bring their children in. She's such a warm and loving person. She's going to be fantastic in that role. We're an overcoming church. And we just need to inspire everybody, everybody to be overcomers. Thank you, church. Thank you. Last week, we had an offering like I have not seen. The increase was incredible. From all corners of the church, people have stepped up. Heart for the house offerings, tithing. There were new people that had stepped forward and said, I want to give. That's going to be powerful because we're going to be able to move forward. We're going to do some things to impact the guests that come in this place. Thank you. Thank you for hearing the word. Thank you for hearing what God is saying. You're overcomers, and God is going to bless you for what you did. Amen. Again, that latter half of Revelation 12, 11 says, and they love not their lives unto death. What does that mean? What does it mean to love not your life unto death? Well, look at Matthew chapter 10 and 38 and 39. Brother Jaden, I apologize. I completely lost giving you my scriptures this morning, but he's good. He'll keep up. By the way, he had his 18th birthday on Friday. Happy birthday to Brother Jaden. 
Matthew chapter 10, 38 and 39 says this, and it says, he, this is Jesus speaking now, and he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. That's exactly what Revelation 12, 11 is saying. In other words, if you reserve your time, if you are selfish with your time, you reserve it for your purposes and for your goals exclusively, you seek to save that time, you save your life, you will lose it. I'm unabashed in saying that. Does that mean, well, Brother Corder, we can't have any fun, we can't go on vacation? Of course not. It is an attitude, it is a heart issue that says, I'm doing what I want to do and I don't want to do anything. I don't know that anybody in this room has that attitude. I hope not. But I'm telling you today that if that is your attitude, if you find yourself more concerned about saving time away from the church, away from the body, because you've just got bigger and better things to do in life, beware, because Jesus himself said, if you save your life, you're going to lose it. The way that you overcome, the way that you overcome the enemy, because the more that you save your life, the more you stay planted in front of your TV or sitting in your fishing boat or doing something else besides thinking about what you can do for God. The more that you do that, the more your spirit is going to decline in here. That power and that energy and that anointing that you have is slowly going to dissipate. See, it's treated like oil in the word of God. That's why the virgins had to keep putting the oil in the lamp because over time it burns out. So so you can just let that oil burn out. Just sit there reeling your fish in and let that oil burn out. And when your strength is gone and your oil is gone, that's when the enemy is going to step in. You will be susceptible to his attacks. You will be susceptible to things like having conflicts with people, meaningless things that don't have any any at all effect in life. I'm angry at the devil today. Do not save your life for the sake of your own entertainment, for what you want. You'll lose it. Those are not my words. But if you do give, if you're a sister Angela or a brother Chad or a brother Meyer or a sister Berlinger, sister Andrea, I loved your testimony last week. Every time you testify, testimony, testimony, every time you testify, sincere, deeply loving from the heart, impacting people. It's not a simple thing that God protected your home and that while you were praying, he skipped that tornado around your home and didn't destroy it and all that other stuff was done. That's not insignificant. It's powerful. And she felt the urge in the heart to step up and say, I want to share my story, Brother Cordell. I'm sorry it took me a couple weeks to get you up here. Please keep doing that. Which leads me to the next part, the word of our testimony. Have you ever wondered why Jesus, after he was taken up, And he reappeared to the apostles. You ever wonder why he left the scars in his hand and his side? Why? I mean, he created a human being. He's God. He's he's transfigured. He's not flesh anymore. He's spirit. He could have eliminated all that. He could have been perfect. Do you ever wonder why he left the scars? I thought about it. I thought about it a few times. He was resurrected from the dead. He was perfect. He appears on the day of his resurrection... Disciples are. Thank you, Lord. Break attention a little bit. Disciples are delusioned, they're hurt. 
They're not sure what to do, what's going on, what's happening. They're not entirely clicked in. They don't, didn't quite get it. And they're in their hiding place, and Jesus appears to them in the midst. He didn't walk in the door. He didn't knock. He didn't come up the stairs. He appeared before them. Powerful. He simply said, peace be with you. But the disciples didn't recognize him. Didn't recognize that it was Jesus. Until, until, he stuck those scars out. He said, now do you recognize me? Probably lifted aside his shirt to show the side, the spear. That's when they recognized him. Remember Doubting Thomas? We call him Doubting Thomas because he actually had to put his finger in the hole of the hand. How shameful is that? In order to convince the disciples it was him, he had to show the scars just to prove it. What I'm telling you folks is your testimony, the word of your testimony, the scars that you have in your life. You see where I'm going with that? The things that have troubled you, the things that have been afflicting you, the things that you've overcome is your testimony. You'll overcome him by the power of the blood and the word of your testimony and not saving your life. You gotta be willing to talk about those things. Shed aside pride. Put aside those things. Sister Andrea, she said, Andrea, she said that she was not a very good speaker. She wanted to step, but she still did it, pushed through. And by the way, you are a good speaker. That's you, very natural up here. But what a wonderful thing to step up and be willing to give that testimony. And it's not the first time she's done it. Sister Gerby, to step up, be nervous, but to deliver such a devotion. Powerful. There was testimony in that. There was words in that. But we can't be ashamed. We can't, we can't hide the things of the past. We can't walk around here and act like, oh, it's all perfect because I'm a Christian and I've never had a problem and everything's A-OK. Because your scars, the marks on your body and on your heart and on your spirit are your testimony that will impact people. God spoke it to us this morning. I mean, he knew exactly. This is all orchestrated by God himself. I mean, he spoke directly to us. Come on, he's talking about the hurts and the pains. Look what people are dealing with out there. Does it do any good for you to go out and testify to your friends? Well, we had a lovely lunch at church today and it was wonderful. And then we went out to the pumpkin farm and then we... No, it's that times when you get together and say, look, this is where I came from. These are the scars that I have. This is what happened to me and where I overcame from God, through God. You understand? Every time you are willing to step up and testify, every time you're willing to step out and say and bear yourself that way, share your scars, present them, every time you do it, Satan is defeated. He is put down. Do you understand that? Now, I need you to understand also that overcoming is not a one-time deal. When we went down in the tank, we didn't overcome him permanently for life. As I said, he's the tormentor. Day and night, according to Revelation chapter 12, he's talking to God and saying, see, look what they did. See, look what your creation is doing. They're not worthy. What are you doing? Look at what these guys are doing. Didn't he do it with Job? There was that conversation that was had there and God said, consider my servant Job. Guess what the devil did? Well, I'm going after him. Because if I can get the best of him, I can get all the rest. We know Job came through. Because of the blood, because of the blood, every believer has a testimony. 
And it can be simple too. You can give your salvation testimony. You can declare the word. You can talk about things that God has done for you in your life. You've heard me testify up here over and over again. Do you know why? I'm compelled. I'm compelled to overcome the enemy. I'm compelled to say, I'm gonna share these words. I'm gonna share these bad things that happened because somebody out there, somebody out there is going through something right now that can relate directly to what I was going through because I can tell you that when I was going through it, I was looking up and going, God, why am I going through this? Why would you allow me to go through this? And then somewhere down the road, eventually, I promise you, somewhere down the road, he's going to answer because that situation is going to present itself to you, Brother Steve. And they're going to say, hey, Brother Cordell or Brother Steve, I'm dealing with this situation. And pow, just like that, you're going to realize that's why I went through it. Because I'm going to minister it to every single person that I can. And defeat Satan at his own game. That's what I'm talking about. The Bible says that we shouldn't be troubled when fiery trials come upon us. It's just a testimony waiting to happen. You're going through a trial. You're going through a challenge. It's painful. It's hard. Rely on other people. Reach out to your friends. Reach out to the church. It's endearing. It's something we want to help you with. We want to reach out. Thank you to all the wonderful people who stepped up and brought meals to our home this last week because my wife had surgery a couple weeks ago. What a wonderful thing. She's pretty shy about things like that, didn't want to broadcast it all over the place and just kind of wanted to quietly go home and and rest and recover. And then they stepped out, the wonderful folks of of our overcoming family, and blessed my family over and over again. Testimony can also be the telling of just your personal story, how you came to God, why you chose God, what do you experience when you're here? Why is it that you're a person of faith? But here's the deal. You have to know your testimony. You have to be ready with it. You want to overcome the enemy? Does anybody in here want to overcome the enemy? I just want to make sure. All right, I'm in. Okay, so you've got that testimony. People say, well, I I don't know what to say. You don't know what to say? Well, (laughs) do you not remember? Does anybody remember the day they got the Holy Ghost? The day they got baptized? There you go. You just have to be prepared in it. We have to change our mindset. We have to be intentional in what we're doing as Christians, walking for him. Because overcoming is an everyday thing. See, Satan doesn't take a break. He doesn't take a vacation. He's up there constantly accusing, 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 accusing. Every day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. When you get out of bed in the morning, he's standing there ready to accuse. Oh, you didn't pray enough this morning. Look at you. You're terrible. You're not even a really good prayer person. And he's going to keep on accusing, keep on accusing. But we're taking vacations from that stuff. We're just taking time off from our prayer and our time to understand our testimony. We're taking a little time time off here because we need our rest, right? He's not resting. We got to get good at it. We got to be able to deliver that testimony with power and confidence and say, this is what God for me. You want to understand why I'm a churchy guy? You understand why you want to call me a Bible thumper or why I go to church every week or, or whatever question it is that you get from people. I've had the range. I've had all the way from very kind and nice. What is it about you and your church and why you go so much to the really nasty, like, well, well you're a Bible thumper. What's your deal? It doesn't matter because I get the opportunity to go, ready? Okay, you ever hear about the book of Acts? (laughs) It doesn't matter how they open the door, right? If they creak it open a little bit. You go to church, right? Yeah, I do. Okay, just checking. Or maybe they slam the door open. What's this deal with you in church? I don't get it. Either way, when the door is open, you gotta be prepared to walk in. 
You got to be prepared to share that testimony because as you're doing it, you're stomping on the head of Satan. You're giving words to people who need to hear those words. There's a soul in front of you that's destined for hell. If you don't do it, perhaps, maybe you're the last person they'll ever hear from. And you're standing there just giving your nice little testimony. One day this lady came and talked to my family and then she shared a Bible study and the whole time you're stomping on Satan's head and you're stomping on him and you're defeating him. And perhaps, perhaps that person receives it. You know, in the parable of the sower, I've noted at times and I talked about this recently. In the parable of the sower, there's four different types of ground that the seed lands on. Did you ever think to yourself that 75% of it fails? Only 25% of the people receive that, according to the parable of the sower. Those are tough numbers. So we need to get to a whole lot of the 25%. Because according to the word, the fields are white. They're ready. We just got to get out there and find them. We got to be willing to do it. Well, nobody around me wants to hear this. Nobody, I, I've, I've been here for a long time. I've never had this opportunity. You click that switch on in your brain and you say, God, I'm ready to give my testimony. I'm ready to be used by you. Like people that are stepping up right now. People that are popping up throughout our congregation say, yes, I'm ready to be used. I want to do something for the kingdom. I guarantee you they're going to be ready with their testimony because once they light up in here, once they get a hold of what's going on in this awesome praise and power that's happening in this church, once that thing starts rolling in here and they start getting involved, guess what? It's going to carry over into their everyday lives and they're going to be powerful for the kingdom. God's word can be our testimony as well, by the way. Obviously, sharing the word of God is is the ultimate testimony. Being able to share the things that are meaningful to those people. But I want to just share a little something with you today. This is a little bit off course, but I I think this is profoundly important and and it's interesting to understand. If you read in Exodus chapter 26 and 34, it says that, and you don't have to turn there, it says that they put the atonement cover on the ark of the testimony in in the most holy place. The ark, or the word, the tablets, were called the tablets of the testimony. Is it right, Brother Rob? They were called the tablets of the testimony. The ark was called the ark of the testimony. Now, in that phraseology, it was, they called it the atonement cover. Okay, now, we also know through scripture that atonement cover is known as the mercy seat. Okay, so if you saw Indiana Jones, you saw the ark of the covenant, you saw the gold box and the, and the, two, the cherubim pointing at each other like this, and there was a flat piece of gold metal, pure gold. It's called the mercy seat or the atonement cover. And God told Moses that this is where I'm going to dwell. This is where you will find me, on the mercy seat. Why is it called that? Because when they come and he pour the blood, he he burns it all up, and and that's the receiving of it, and that's the atonement. And then the priest puts his hand on the goat, and the goat runs out into the wilderness, and there goes the sins of Israel for a year. That atonement cover, the word for atonement there, and it's referred, by the way, Christ is referred in Romans 3, 1 John 2, 1 John 4, as an atoning sacrifice, The word for atoning there is called, and pardon me if I mispronounce it, halasterion. Halasterion, H-I-L-A-S-T-E-R-I-O-N. Write that down. This is the name, it's basically the word in the Greek Old Testament for atonement cover. Same word used for Jesus. The atoning sacrifice. You following me now? This is where God told Moses, I will be on the mercy seat. The atonement cover was known as the mercy seat on the ark, as I said, and here we see that Jesus is paralleled essentially with this beautiful, Jesus is always, by the way, the the description with these gold pieces always represents Jesus, pure gold, 
represents Jesus in these fixtures. So on several occasions, God spoke to him and told him, that's where I'll be. Exodus 25 and 22 says, there above the cover between the two cherubim that are over the ark of the testimony, I will meet with you and give you all my commands for the Israelites. So if the atonement cover was in place over the testimony, that's where God is found, and Christ himself is that hilasterian, hilasterian, or the atonement cover, then Christ and God are the same. I got one amen. Exodus 30 and 6 says, Then thou shalt put it between the veil that is by the ark of the testimony before the mercy seat that is over the testimony where I will meet with thee. So look at the language there. The second part of this verse tells us that the atonement cover, the mercy seat, is over the testimony. You following me? Because the, here's the, the tablets are down in the ark, and here's, the, here's that mercy seat. That's God. That's where Jesus meets us. That's where the commands were given to, Israel, to the Israelites. Okay? So we already, we already know that Jesus himself is the atonement cover. It says so in those three scriptures that I've referenced. And God's word is our testimony. So Christ isn't just the reason for my testimony. He is my testimony. And he guards it with each one of you. You see, that Holy Ghost over you, inside you, covers that testimony in there. He protects you. In other words, we are expected. It's covered and protected, and we're expected to give it. You see, your heart is the ark. You understand? I've, I've made that assimilation before, that, that idea before. Your heart is the ark of the word. It's hidden in here. Thy word, if I hid in my heart, that I would not sin against God, Right? That atoning blood, that spirit is over you. It's magnificent. Those were stone tablets. Of course, our tablet is a tablet of flesh. He keeps it safe with you. So that's why when he promised, when he said, I will bring to remembrance those words, when you're in those ministering moments, when you're in that, sec- that, that particular setting and someone says, hey, what's this deal about you in church? That covering is over your word. He's ready to help you give it. It says he'll bring to remembrance those words. He'll speak through you if you just believe him. So just like he was over the ark and the tablets and the stone and all that stuff, it's just the same thing that's going on right in here. That's your testimony. We'll overcome him by the power of the blood and the word of our testimony. Let's go on to the blood of the lamb. If I confused anybody in that, I know I got a little bit back into the Greek and all that stuff. Just just pull me aside. We'll talk about it. John the Baptist first pointed to Jesus. What did he say? He said, behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. Well, at that point, they didn't quite understand how he was going to do that. But listen to what Jesus said. Matthew 26 and 28 said, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. The word just continues to say, the blood is there for the sins. 1 Peter 1, 18 through 19, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. Now, most of you have heard these scriptures. You're thinking, well, this is an Easter lesson. I've heard this before. Stay with me. Hebrews 13 and 12 says, Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Colossians 1 and 4, Paul speaks and he says, In one we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. 
Now, do you know that in Scripture, this might blow some people away, in Scripture, and I know I've got a couple scholars in here, but Scripture doesn't literally directly attach you going down in those waters with you putting on the blood. Not directly. It does not say the water, waters of baptisms represent the blood of Jesus. Directly. But here's where it follows. Ephesians chapter 1 and 7, in whom we have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. So again, we hear the blood, by the blood of the lamb and the word of the testimony and not loving your lives to save, to save your life. So again, the blood of the lamb, how do we apply it? That becomes the question, right? What is it? Okay, the blood of the lamb, how is it applied in our lives? Well, those of us who are in the game and been around the altar a couple of times know that we apply it when we took the blood in baptism, right? It's not directly correlated and people struggle with this. I've had it happen in Bible studies. Clearly, we see that the blood of the lamb is the forgiveness of our sins. It's a remission of our sins again and again and again. When the devil orchestrated the betrayal and the subsequent death of Jesus at the cross, the shedding of his blood, he inadvertently released the very weapon that Jesus intended for you and I to destroy the devil's plan. He did it to himself. The shedding of his own blood, that was it. The devil created his own demise by plotting to destroy Jesus. The tool that the devil had against us was sin. You guys are sinners. All of you. You're all sinners. Me too. Be aware of that. We live in the flesh. You're still a sinner. If you were baptized, does it make you not a sinner anymore? Yes, you do sin. When you make mistakes, when you fall, when you have these conflicts, when you, when you speak out, when you get mad at the driver next to you and you do stuff you shouldn't do, those are sins. That's bad stuff. So the devil had that power against us and then he went and shed the blood of the lamb that was gonna provide us the remission. The devil's called the accuser because he tempts us with sin and when we fail, he stands as the accuser, as I said before, constantly pointing the finger. He'll lure you into some of the most wonderful sins. He'll put it out there before you. The Bible says that sin is good for a season. Can we agree? You can say amen, it's not shameful, amen. But we know that he plays that double role. He's waiting. He wants to tempt you into it. He'll play the role of the tempter, but then he plays the role of the accuser. Probably does it to you every day. You didn't do this right. You didn't do that right. You're not this good. You're not that good. You're not going to be this. You can't do it that well. You made this mistake. He'll go back into your history. Yeah, but remember 20 years ago when you... Did you really get forgiveness for that? Did you really make it right? Constantly, the accuser. So as I said a moment ago, how do we apply the blood? How can we directly say that the blood is applied in our lives? And by the way, it is not just through the one time that you got in the tank and came back out and your sins were remitted. That's not the only time that you apply the blood. It doesn't say we overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. It says overcome Hebrews chapter 10, 19 through 22 says this, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Okay, there's an indication that the water is a correlation to the blood. 
right? Now we know that when Jesus was speared in the side on the cross that it says that water and blood came out. The Bible says that this is he that came by the water and the blood. Some people want to argue that that was the waters of birth and the blood of his death. I disagree with that. I think clearly throughout scripture, if you study, it indicates that the water and the blood represent the water when he was baptized. He was faithful. He followed the plan. He didn't need to be baptized. He was without sin, but he did get baptized. And then the shedding of his blood at his death. He came by the water and the blood. So guess what? It was a type and shadow. It was a plan for us. And just like Hebrews just said, to be washed, our bodies washed with pure water. You see, what Hebrews 10 and 19 is referencing is the time when the priest had to go. There was that giant veil in front of the Ark of the Covenant. Remember the mercy seat I just talked to you about? One guy, one guy out of the entire tribes of Israel got to go in there once a year and pour that blood on the mercy seat to have that commune with God and watch God burn that thing up and accept that sacrifice. And so what, what Hebrews is saying, what the author is saying is this, that Jesus became more perfect. He's a more perfect sacrifice, and he is the veil. But if you remember, when he died on the cross, the Bible says that in Jerusalem, in the temple, the veil was rent in two. It was gone. That thing was 60 feet high and thick like a man's hand. It was wide, and it just ripped in two, and it was a symbol to say that now you have direct access to me. Every single one of you... Come on, folks, switch on. Every single one of you can now walk through that busted veil right into the presence of God. That's what was happening here this morning. That's what was going on here. We were standing in the throne room. We're standing in the presence of God. And we can simply say, we don't have to have a priest and a goat and an animal and cut things and blood and all that stuff. We step up to the throne. We step up to the throne and we pour it on that mercy seat just by speaking out to him in repentance. If you've taken on the waters of baptism, you're covered under the blood. Yes, the pure waters are right over there. We'll take you into that tank. We'll put you down in those waters. The sins will be remitted. Not atoned for a year, but remitted for good. But the way that we overcome the lamb, overcome with the blood of the lamb, is we repent and we live a life that's not saving for ourselves. You understand? Come up to the mercy seat. I love it when people worship and pray. You don't have to. It's not a requirement. There's no rule written down that says you have to walk all the way up here like these folks. But I just love to see that. I love to watch people say, I want to step up. I want to step up into the throne room. I want to stand here at the mercy seat and worship and pray. I can tell you there's been many times I've stood here in worship asking God to forgive me for the messes that I've made. Every day, every day, living in that life of repentance. That's how you apply the blood. That's how you apply it. You don't come here and dunk in the water every week. You understand? That's how we overcome. By the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony and not saving our lives to death. Revelation 1 and 5 says that I'm from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And I alluded to it just a moment ago. You can stand with me this morning as I'm about to close and we can have our musicians. No, this wasn't a very long message. I owed you a break after two rather arduous lessons and the power of worship and our giving. Romans 6, 3, and 5, most of you know it very well, if not all of you. It says, or do you know, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? 
Therefore, we have been buried with him through his baptism into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united, thank you, Brother Chad, and your devotion this morning in prayer, if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. See, we have to overcome every day. We have to overcome every day because someday, someday we got to take part in that resurrection. Now, I'm not seeing too well across the room, but if there's anybody in this room that has not yet been baptized in Jesus' name, I hope you heard the word today. Because Jesus himself said, Mark 16, 15 through 17 says this, and he said to them, this is Jesus speaking now to the apostles, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. Now you could just as easily put both subjects and predicates in both parts of that sentence, and you could read it without failing or without marring the word this way. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not and is not baptized shall be damned. Baptism is not an option. It's not something we do as an outer sign of an inner blah, blah, blah. It is a command. It's an element of obedience. It's a way that you take the blood of God on your life. And it has to be done. Verse 17 says, And these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They shall cast out devils, and they shall speak with new tongues. On the day of Pentecost... When Jesus had returned in the form of the Holy Ghost and he inspired Peter, the man that he gave the keys to the kingdom. You've heard it before. I'm not speaking to you guys that are in the choir, okay? I hope you got that. He gave Peter the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever he bound on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever he loosed on earth is loosed in heaven. Peter stands up that day. He knows what it takes to overcome the enemy because he's doing it. He's in the process of doing it here. And when the people of Jerusalem said, We killed Christ. What do we do? They're feeling pricked in their hearts. They know that their life isn't right. They know they've done wrong. What is the answer? Overcome the enemy this way. Repent. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Just as he said in those other scriptures that I gave. you got to get those sins wiped off of you. If you just simply repent and accept God as your Savior and all that wonderful stuff, you're just going to walk around with dirty, ugly sin riding on your back. It's got to be remitted. It's got to be taken off. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And this promise is to you and to all your children and to all those that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. If you're in the house this morning, if you're in the sound of my words, God has called you to be here. You are here for a reason and a purpose. And you need to be baptized. Those waters are warm, I promise you. We've got all the gear here today. If you're willing to step up to this altar and say, yes, I see it. I want it. I need this baptism. I want to be clean. I want to overcome the enemy. I don't want to be lost. Finally, Acts 22 and 16 says this. And this is my message for those I was just speaking to. And now, why tarriest thou? means why wait what are you waiting for for the ride home when you hit a deer and go in a ditch and maybe not make it home the old proverbial hit by a bus next week 
Why tarriest thou? Arise, be baptized, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Now is the time for you to overcome by the blood. Now is the time to begin your testimony. Now is the time to begin living for him. Today is the day of your salvation. This altar is open this morning. I hope those of you that knew all this stuff and said, yep, uh uh-huh, yep, uh uh-huh, I knew that. I hope you were taking it in and changing that mindset, getting that intent differently. You know what? I'm learning this to teach it. I'm not learning it because I already knew it. I'm learning it because I want to share it. The altar is open this morning. Come down and talk to God. If there's any that want to be baptized, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.